You know, we're studying a series on the book of Daniel called Living in the Lion's Den. Uh, I want you to think about something. Daniel was served, he served four kings, pagan kings, and he served for over 65 years in Babylon. And the amazing thing is that, you know, when he was a young man, uh, he started out, remember that was the story of the, the first interpretation of the first dream, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, and, and we talked about the fiery furnace, but now we're looking at a new event. But this event, the lion's den, happened when he was almost 80 years old. So from being a teenager or early 20s to now he's nearly 80 years old. He's, he's been serving for over 60 years. And he served with distinction. I want you to look at a passage in Daniel 6, verse 2 and 3. It says, The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. When I read that, I realized that was the answer to a question I had been asking. The question was this. Why didn't Daniel go back to Israel? At the end of his reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, he could have easily gone back. He served King Darius, the Medes and the Persian king, easily. He would have allowed him to go back, even to visit. Possibly, he would have allowed him to go back permanently. But he never even went home to visit. And I I always ask myself, why? Why not? Now, last week, I talked to you about how that Daniel had to forgive King Nebuchadnezzar of destroying his family so that God could use him to serve that king. But I realized he moved beyond just forgiveness. You see, Daniel believed that God had called him to Babylon. At some point in your life, you have to understand That even in difficult situations, God places you in a certain place at a certain time for a certain reason. And God wants to use you in that particular place, even if it's difficult. How many of you would say you've been placed in difficult circumstances before? Let me see your hand. A lot of people. You've been placed in those difficult circumstances. And I've learned something about those difficult circumstances. And that is... You can have one or of two different attitudes. One is, you can have what I call the if-only attitude. If only this had not happened, then I could really be used by God. If I just had a husband, if I just had a wife, if I just had children, then I could really make a difference for Jesus. If I could have a big house with a big living room, if I could get a better job, if if I could on and on and on, it's if only. Or you can have the other attitude that I believe is what God calls us to, and that is, 
It's what is. God can use us right where we're at. God calls us to difficult places so that He can use us to influence other people. And you have to come to a place in your life where you stop playing if only and you say, this is where God has me. I'm going to serve right here. I'm going to make a difference right here. It may not be the best. It may not be perfect. But still, this is where God has me. And and when I look at Daniel's life, not only did he forgive the king, Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed his country and destroyed his family. And he forgave him. But he forgave him so that God could use him. But he moved beyond forgiveness to where he said, God has me here in Babylon. I'm going to serve and I'm going to do the very best job that I can. And I wonder if we could learn from the life lesson of Daniel that wherever God has you, you make that decision to say, this is where I am. This is where God has placed me. It may not be perfect, it may not be ideal, and there may be a lot of difficulties with that, but still, this is where God has me. You know, I I see a lot of people, they're wasting their life away. They spend half their time trying to figure out why they've gotten where they are, and then the rest of the time, they're trying to figure out how to get out of where they are to someplace else. When You know what's the amazing thing? Is that all the time they're trying to figure out why they are where they are? They're missing what God has for them right there. They're missing the plan and purpose that God has for them right there. They're so focused on, if I could just be there. They're so focused on that, they miss what God has for them right there. The blessing that is right in front of them. I remember talking to someone and... And they were just so wanting to reach out and they were so wanting to touch people in foreign lands. And I said, you know, you have a great opportunity to touch your own family. And it was kind of like, my own family? That was like revelation. Yeah, your own family. You can start right at home. Making a difference at home. And reaching those people. So we want to look at this particular chapter 6 of Daniel and say, okay, what can we learn? We've been trying to learn as much as we can about the life of Daniel and the different things that happened. Today we're going to look at chapter 6, and that's when he actually gets in the lion's den. He's thrown in the lion's den. The very first thing I can see from this, and that is jealousy, Seeks to destroy others. That's what threw him in the lion's den was jealousy. Let's look if we could in Daniel chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Then the other administrators and high officials, officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Boy, that, that's amazing, really. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So, they concluded... Our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in the connection with the rules of his religion. Let our life be so honest and trustworthy that they can't find anything wrong except you following after God. 
And that's where they were. They couldn't find anything wrong. But they were so filled with jealousy. You know, I asked myself and I thought, they wanted to destroy Daniel rather than being excellent themselves. They could have said, Daniel's doing a great job. I believe I will do an excellent job too. No, they didn't want to do that. They wanted to destroy him. And we learned and talked about forgiveness last week, but I just want to talk to you for a moment about jealousy. Where does jealousy come from? Jealousy brings out the worst in all of us. Really, there's no place for it. At the very root of jealousy begins the idea of discontentment. And then once there's discontentment and lack of gratefulness, then what do we start doing? We start comparing ourselves to others. Has anybody ever done that? Comparing yourself to others? It's a deadly trap. You know, I sometimes I, and a lot of people, they love Facebook and they put things on Facebook. And, and I'm wondering how many times they put things on Facebook because they want to compare themselves to someone else. And they're devastated if they don't get enough likes. Oh, my goodness, I didn't get as many likes as they did. And I'm thinking, so what? Your life is really determined upon how many likes you get. You've got to be kidding. It is a danger to start comparing ourselves to others. And the reason is God made you unique. You are not those people. You are not like anyone else. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You are unique. You are special. God called you. God put a gifting upon you. And God wants you to be who you are, not compare yourselves to one another. Even Paul mentioned this in 1 Corinthians. Excuse me, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, he says, Oh, don't worry. We, we wouldn't dare say that you are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other. Using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. Crazy. Doesn't make any sense. Don't waste your life comparing yourself to someone else. Instead, celebrate who God has you to be. And, you know, I'm not going to go real far here, but we are who we are and the way we look. And we don't have to mess with the way we look. This is who we are. Come on, ladies. <laughs> You're beautiful. Just the way God created you. And men. Vanity is a trap. So, thank God. Now, I, I, I thank God, you ladies, you want to make yourself look pleasant and pretty. That's, that's a good thing. But, you know, you can get your whole life wrapped up in it. And that's not good to do. And again, it goes back to comparing yourself with others. You're not others. And it, it allows jealousy to creep in. And, and that's really where they were. These administrators, they 
were so jealous of Daniel. And it brings up another interesting fact, and that is it's obvious that Satan designs a trap just for us. You see that here in, in the book of Daniel, chapter 6, let's look at 6 through 10. It says, so the administrators and high officials went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced, give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Interesting. The officials, the jealousy in in these officials cause them to custom design a trap. Remember, they couldn't find anything wrong with the way he did things. So they devised a law, and it appealed to the pride of King Darius. Now, King Darius should have never signed this. It was a stupid law. But he kind of liked the idea, you know. Oh, nobody's going to pray to anybody except me. He shouldn't have fallen for that. But he did. He didn't see the trap. He didn't see what they were trying to do to Daniel. So he fell for it. And it just is a reminder, folks. And as I read this, I thought, you know, Satan is looking to design a trap for you. Think about it. He is looking to find a way to trick you and to to cause you to fall. And so that we need to be aware of all the tricks of the enemy. And the good news is, is that you don't have to fall for the intimidation. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what they wanted Daniel to do? They wanted him to be intimidated and cause him to fear and cause him to back up from serving the God that he served. And yet... Did it look like Daniel was intimidated? It doesn't look like it to me. It looks like knowing the law, knowing what Darius had signed, it says he went to his room, had the windows open toward Jerusalem, and he knelt down and he prayed. And it just reminds us, when our ways please the Lord, we don't have anything to fear of the enemy. No trap, no snare trick of the enemy will snare us if our ways please the Lord. And it kind of brings up the great thing that happened here. I love this. God will defend us from every attack of the enemy. Isn't that good news? God will defend you. Look if you would. And this is an amazing story. If you think about it, it's in verse 13, same chapter. It says this, then then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives of Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. 
And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. Isn't that amazing? He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. I want to tell you, King Darius loved Daniel. He loved him. He appreciated his heart. And he looked for a way to get out of this, but he couldn't get out of it. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave the orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seal of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night doing what? Fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and he couldn't sleep all that night. A pagan king fasted all night. If you read in the New King James Version of verse 14, it says the king was disappointed with himself. I know the New Living says he was displeased, but it tells us he was disappointed in himself. Why was he disappointed? Because he realized what he had done. He realized he had been tricked. He realized he had been designed and fell into a trap to harm Daniel one of his most trusted advisors. And he also knew the jealousy of his administrators. He knew what was behind this. And he was so determined that it fasted all night. He couldn't, he couldn't do his normal thing. He just says that he just he couldn't even sleep. And I just want to say to you, God is able. God is able to deliver His people. He is able to deliver His people. I love this part. Verse 19. Very early in the morning, the next morning, the king got up, hurried to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue from the lion? And Daniel answered, long live the king. I love it. My God sent his angel to shut the mouth, the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in your sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. When I read the response of Daniel, I thought how he could have reacted. He could have lashed out at all these guys that did this. He could have lashed out at the king. King, why did you do this? Why did you throw me into this lion's den? You knew what you were doing. Yet there's no hint of anger, bitterness, resentment. He just said, long live the king. My God has been able to deliver me. And I'm innocent. I haven't done anything against my God. And I haven't done anything against you. You know, I I find it interesting the way God delivered him. Did you catch that? He didn't say he took away the appetite of the lions. It says he shut their mouth. He sent an angel. And the angel 
shut the mouths of the lions. So I don't know, I, I kind of get this mental image of these lions walking up to Daniel, you know, wanting to take a bite out of him, but not able to open their mouth. I don't know exactly how it was, you know, they're gumming themselves. I don't know what they're trying to do, but they can't eat anything and they're hungry. I mean, if you look at the practice of these kings, they would usually have eight to ten lions in this huge den. And they would keep them hungry because they were there for punishment. And so they fed them very little. And they fed them so little that many times the lions would fight each other to get at whatever food they could get. And so when Daniel was thrown in there, he was the morsel He was a tasty morsel that would be their dinner. And yet they couldn't get their mouth open. And to me, that's God's way of saying he is able to deliver us from those who would speak evil of God's people. A lot of you have had people to devise plans to destroy you with their mouth. And I just want to encourage you today. God is able to shut the mouths Of those who would speak evil of you. I wonder if there's anybody here today. You have had people to rise up to speak evil of you. Let me see your hand. Wow. God wants to speak a word to you today. That God is your defense. God is the one who can shut those mouths. I read in passage in Psalm 64. That kind of describes the process They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim their bitter words like arrows. They shoot from ambush at the innocent, attacking subtly and fearlessly. They encourage each other to do evil and plan how to set their traps in secret. Who will ever notice, they ask. As they plot their crimes, they say, we have devised the perfect plan. Yes, the human heart and mind are cunning. But God himself will shoot them with his arrows. Suddenly striking them down. Their own tongues will ruin them. And all who see them will shake their head in scorn. Then everyone will be afraid. They will proclaim the mighty acts of God. And realize all the amazing things He does. The godly will rejoice in the Lord. And find shelter in Him. And those who do what is right will praise Him. God is able to deliver His people. And not just deliver them, He's able to shut mouths. And one last verse I want to remind you of, and that is in Isaiah 54, verse 17. But in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by who? The servants of the Lord, their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. God promises you this, that God will destroy those who rise up in their tongues against you. The enemy loves to stir up people against you. They would say evil things about you because you love God. They would say evil things about you because you stand for righteousness. And what do they want to do? They want to intimidate you to back away from standing for God. That's what they want. They want you to back up. They want you to be silent. 
They want you not to stand for God. That's what the enemy is always looking to do. But God is trying to say, just the way he delivered Daniel, he is saying to you, he is able to shut the mouths of those who want to attack you. The other thing I see here, our jealousy will end up destroying us. I talked a moment, just a moment ago about jealousy, but look at verse 24. Look where it ends up. Then the king gave the orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Ouch. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Now, I know that's a little gruesome. And I'm sorry, but this is the way it is. They were hungry. (laughs) And to me, it's God's way of saying, you need to understand a truth. Your jealousy and your sinful acts don't just affect you. They affect your family. Don't ever forget that. See, the enemy, Satan, he wants you to think your sin is your business and it only affects you. But the truth is, your sins and your choices affect others. That's the way it is. That's life. That's the truth. And I had someone tell me one time, it was kind of a similar situation here. Well, that's not fair. Why would God have the families to hurt because of someone else's choice. Well, let me just, first of all, explain a couple of things. First of all, there is no guarantee in here about fairness. That's, that's, a, that's an imaginary thing that man has made up about fairness. And it's very subjective. What God says is he is good and he is just. And he wants us to know that when we make wrong choices and when we walk away from God, it can influence and affect and harm our own family. That is a truth that he wants to be cemented into our hearts. Why? So that we will walk carefully before the Lord. So that we will be careful in our words. So we'll be careful in our choices. Because... We impact the lives of other people. That's just the way it is. And it's really not a matter of fairness or not fairness. It's just the way what life is. It's kind of like it's the way a law of gravity is. The, the quicker you learn that the law of gravity is real, the quicker you can learn not to jump off a cliff. Well, the quicker we learn that our choices affect other people, then the more and quickly we learn be careful with our choices because it can influence my whole family it can influence my children if you serve the enemy and you walk away from god's ways don't kid yourself it can influence your family it can potentially harm your family the other thing here is i love the end of this story It just tells me that God rescues and saves his people. Say that with me. God rescues and saves his people. I want you to look at the last passage here in Daniel 6. So powerful. Begin with verse 25. 
Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. This is amazing. This is the king, a pagan king. Look what he wants to declare to everyone. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. He is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. The king said it. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. God rescues and saves his people. You know, I thought about... What God has done for us. What Daniel did in honoring God with his life caused God to rescue him. And I can't help but see the picture and the type of Jesus. Because Jesus is the one Who rescued us. And he went into another den. He went to the den of hell. Filled with demons. And rescued us. From our own sin. He rescued us from something greater than lions. He rescued us from the power of sin and death. He went to hell itself and declared that He is King of kings and Lord of lords and that His blood is delivering from every person on the earth. He rescued you that you might not have to pay the penalty. God rescued Daniel from the mouths of the lions. But God has rescued many of you from the effects of sin. And here's the truth. Every person in here, every person, you are either a person who has been rescued from hell or you're a person who needs to be rescued from hell. That's the truth. I don't mean to be blunt or... That's just the way it is. The Bible teaches very clearly that we are sinners. Lost. Without hope. And that we need to be rescued. That every man, woman, and child is heading toward hell. But we have a Savior. We have a Savior. We have a Lord. We have a Redeemer. We have one who went into the pit. Put his arms out. Suffered and died on the cross. So that you could be set free from your sins. Every person in here. You're on your way to heaven or hell. 
just the truth. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity, an invitation. And I'm just going to ask you to be, just be respectful for the moment. We're not going to be long. If you just be patient. And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning. Are you someone who has been rescued from hell? Are you one of those people who need to be rescued from hell? There's only one way. It's not your works, not your good anything. It's only the precious blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus is the only one, the only thing that saves us and redeems us. This morning, I'm wondering if there's someone, I feel like several people here this morning, you need to be rescued, delivered from hell, from your own actions. There's only one way, and that is by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it, you must be born again. I'm going to ask you if you would just stand to your feet. Worship team, we're going to sing, oh, the blood of Jesus. And as they sing that, I'm just going to ask if you would like to come and give your heart and your life to Jesus and be rescued. If the enemy has been on the attack against you and you want to be rescued and Jesus would stand with you and help you and rescue you, I'm going to ask you just to make your way down to the front. Come stand right here with me. I want to pray with you. We're going to sing it. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Jesus. time. I believe God has someone else here.
us. Okay. Let's pray. I'm just going to ask you to pray out loud. We're just asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart and your life. Pray out loud. Anybody else, if you want to pray out loud and ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, you can do that right where you're at. Pray out loud with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I love you, Lord. I confess I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I need the blood of Jesus to cleanse me and rescue me. Forgive me of my sin, Lord. Come into my heart. Live in my heart, Lord. I am born again by the Spirit of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a new heart and a new spirit. In the precious name of Jesus, I will never be the same. Thank you, Lord, that you love me and you have a plan for my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise God. Best decision of your life. Praise God.